But we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And so starting in verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come before you right now, and we, would, we pray, Lord, that you would just encourage us today, that you would prepare us, Lord, for the things we're going through, the things, Lord, that we're going to go through, Lord, and that you would just uh, continue to strengthen us, Lord, for the things that we've gone through already this year, Lord, that we might just be able to continue to be faithful, Lord, to be those faithful witnesses, Lord, in whatever circumstance we might find ourselves. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, Revelation is going to be more of a jumping off point than anything else because I know Pastor Charlie just finished a, a very in-depth study of the book of Revelation, and, and I'm sure he went into a lot more detail than we're going to go into today about the Church of Smyrna. But, you know, today it, it's really just an encouragement to be faithful. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of times that, you know, because of the circumstances we go through, the things that, that, that we struggle with, that just the trials, that sometimes that can be one of the most difficult things to do. And it's why I think that there are certain movies that, that just resonate with us. And like I was sharing last night with the, the services, growing up, some of my favorite movies, and, and even today, some of my favorite movies are the Rocky movies. You know, and I don't know if any of you guys have seen those. They're the, the ones that end the same all the time with, you know, you know, Rocky getting beat up. But then, you know, all of a sudden the punches don't affect him anymore. And he's got that super punch that knocks out anybody and everybody that walks into his path. You know, and, and I love that. I love that movie. And, and mainly because I love the fact that it shows this huge underdog that in almost every fight he's in, he has no business being in. You know, that, that almost every time he's like, they're trying to convince him not to fight. Everybody's counting against him. And at the beginning of every fight, he's on the verge of getting knocked out, if not worse. But at some point, just his perseverance, his faithfulness to, to his training and everything else, it kicks in and he's able to, to end up winning the fight. You know, and, and I love that. You know, one of my other favorites is Rudy. You know, if you guys have seen that movie about that guy that walked on at Notre Dame and, you know, at the end of it, he gets on the field for that last play. And, you know, not many movies make me cry, but Rudy does every time. You know, and my daughter, she's four, and she looks at me like I'm weird because I'll be watching it in my house. And I'm like, Rudy, Rudy. And there's tears, and she's like, oh, that's my dad. You know, 
and it's one of those that, man, I just, I love the underdog story. I love the, the story of somebody just pushing through all sorts of obstacles. And here, that's the encouragement that Jesus has given us. That's the encouragement that he's given to the church to be faithful. In verse 10 of what we read, he says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, that beginning of that, it, it, it sounds so weird to me at the beginning where he says, you know what, you're going to go through a lot, but don't be scared. You know, because to me, if somebody walks up to me, like if one of you were to walk up to me as you leave today and say, Pastor Sam, don't be scared. I'm gone. Like, you know, like I'm already terrified. I'm running. Like there, obviously there's something to be scared of. Otherwise you wouldn't say it unless you just want to see how fast I run now. You know, but it's one of those things that, you know, he tells them, he's preparing them, and he says, don't be scared. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through some intense persecution, but it's not going to be forever. It's not going to last as long as eternity. Keep your eyes on the prize. Remember who I am, and remember what you've committed to me. It's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, as he's encouraging Timothy to continue in the ministry, as he's encouraging him not to forsake his gifts and, and to not be ashamed of the trials that, that he goes through or that Paul's gone through. And, he, and he's going to tell him that, man, he's not, Paul himself is not ashamed. And in verse 12, he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You know, Paul, he says, man, I know who I've trusted my life to, my spirit to, my eternity to. And so, man, I am not ashamed of anything I've gone through. I'm not ashamed of anything that I've had to deal with because, man, I know that he's able to keep what he's promised until that day. You know, and I think that that is that first thing that we need to understand is to endure, to be faithful through the trials. We have to know who Jesus is. We have to have settled in our hearts who he is. In the high school on Sundays, we've been going through Matthew. And when we started the book, we told them that in Matthew 16, Jesus asked this key question, this question that, that was going to determine, you know, not only what they got out of the study as we went through Matthew, but also it was going to determine their entire lives and how they reacted to things. And it's the question that Jesus asked in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 15, where he begins by asking the disciples who the people say that he is. And they tell him, well, they say you're a prophet or, or you're, you know, you're Elijah, you're whoever. And then Jesus turns and he says, okay, who do you say that I am? You know, and, he, and, and then we see Peter give that wonderful answer, hey, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of Christ. You know, we, Peter gives that awesome answer, but we told him, you know what, the question is for us today, who do you say that he is? Who is he in your life? Is he your Lord and Savior, or is he just somebody that wrote a book that's kind of interesting? You know, it, it kind of adds something to your life, but it's not that important. Like, who is he? You know, can you, like Paul, say, man, I know whom I have committed my spirit to, and I know that he's able to keep it until that day. Like, who is he? You know, there are so many times that that's going to be tested in our lives. And one of the examples, you know, uh, Andy alluded to 
is in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a lot of us, we know the story. You know, it's the, where they're thrown into the fiery furnace. You know, but starting in verse 8, we see, and we'll just, we'll read, you know, uh, a portion of it. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I mean, just stopping right there for a moment, that's an incredible test to face. You know, to be, to be told, hey man, you're either going to bow or not only are you going to die, but basically you're going to be cooked alive. You're going to be thrown into this fire. And who is the God that is going to deliver you? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not already settled in their hearts who God was, if they had not already had a relationship with him, man, that would have shook them to their very core and it very likely would have led them to their knees. Because, man, that is a valid question. Who's going to save you from the fire? You know, in our lives, it's something that, man, sometimes we even ask as we're going through things. You know, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. You know, Christmas is coming up, and, and we start looking at bills and money and all that stuff. And we're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. You know, some of you, you have kids that, that are in the youth ministry or they're, or they're you know, youth age or college age you know and you're looking at them and they're struggling with their faith and man you're looking at them and saying man you know who's gonna how am I gonna do this who's gonna help me you know it's that who's this God that's gonna get me through this trial you know Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they have an amazing answer because in verse 16 it says oh Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Man, that is an answer. It's one of those, you know what, whether my circumstance changes or not, it doesn't change who my God is. And it's not going to change how I view him. And, and almost to the point of, and if you throw me in the fire today, I get to see him. It's a win-win for me. Because either way, he's going to be glorified in my life, whether in my death in the furnace or whether it, it's because he delivers me. Man, I know who my God is. 
You know, and it's one of those things that, again, it goes back to who is he in your life? Who has he been? Have you developed that relationship with him that, man, as you're going through those fires, that you're able to say, I know him. I know who he is, and I know and I trust he's going to bring me through. Because there are going to be times that, yeah, maybe, you know what, it, it's, it's one of those tests that, man, you give the answer and he delivers you from the furnace and you don't even have to face it. But, man, sometimes maybe it's like what we see in verse 19 where it says Nebuchadnezzar was fuel, was fuel, I, I did that last night too, I can't read, was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. At the risk of getting in more trouble than I already am in with my wife for saying this last night, I shared that I had never seen what it was like to see someone's face change like that until I got married. And mainly because I'm that dumb that I do a lot of dumb things, you know, and it's even gotten to the point where my four-year-old daughter recognizes it. Like, I, I don't even remember what I did last night, but I was picking on her and she looked at me and she goes, Sam? And I was like, well, I know where you've heard that one, you know, like it was one of those like, you know, you, you see sometimes you're like people's face change, you know, as kids, we remember it with our parents, you know, I vividly remember seeing my parents face change every nine weeks. Well, it was six weeks back then, you know, and I'd bring home my report card and I'd hear those same words, except it was longer. It was Samuel Christian. You know, and, I, and to see that, you know, you, you kind of get an image and you, you understand, man, the fear that was probably there. Man, this king, he was upset so much so that he heated the furnace seven times more than normal. He says he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. In verse 24, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Man, how amazing it must have been to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, you kind of hesitate to say that, because to have this experience, they had to be thrown into a fiery furnace. But I mean, come on. Maybe it's the little kid in me that still fights to come out, but man, to walk in a fiery furnace? And as you read through the rest of the chapter, you see that, man, they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. Man, how amazing that must have been. And you see, man, King Nebuchadnezzar's face probably changed again, this time with the amazement of, man, so that's the God. You know, his question was asked and answered. You know, it's one of those things that we tell the kids a lot, that the light shines the brightest in the darkest. 
You know, it, it's one of those things that we told them, we had our Bible study last Friday night, and we were talking about, you know, the, something similar, and I told them, you know, we're, we're in a well-lit room, and if I were to turn on a flashlight right now, it would seem pretty ridiculous. Like, you know, it, it would seem pointless. People would wonder why I was wasting the batteries and, and what point I was really trying to prove. But if all of a sudden the lights went out and we were just in pitch black darkness, you would appreciate the flashlight a lot more. Because all of a sudden that would be security, that would be safety, that would be your way out of the building if need be. The light wouldn't change. It would be what surrounded it would. And we talk about how, man, sometimes it's the darkest times in our lives, the hardest times in our lives, that, man, that light can shine the brightest to the people around us. Because, man, that's when they really start looking. Do you really believe everything you've said when everything's going well? You know, we even went to the point on, Friday, on that Friday night, it was... Uh, you know, shortly after everything had happened in Paris and, you know, the, the people being executed in the, in the, the theater or in the, wherever they were watching the band. And we told them, you know, as weird as it may sound, our prayer has been that there were Christians in that room. And not because we wanted anybody to die, not because we wanted anybody to be there, but because, man, there was some hardcore darkness there. And man, we hope there was somebody in there shining the light, especially for those that stood before God that day. That man, they were there shining their light. You know, and, and it's one of those that man, it's not something you ever wish on somebody. It's not something that we would ever want to go through, but see, it's something we know that man, it may not be as intense as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It may not be as intense as what happened in Oregon, what's happened in Paris, what's happened to Christians in other parts of the world, but you will be taken through the fire. It's one of those promises that I know that we're all going to write on our Christmas cards this year. You know, that promise that Paul writes to Timothy, man, all who, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. You know, I know that's the one you're going to send to your grandparents, you know. You know, Merry Christmas, Grandma. You will suffer persecution. God said so. You know, like, it, it's not one that we do. We don't, you know, you don't have it on your coffee mug. You don't have it on your bookmarks. It's one of those that, man, you know what, it, truth be told, we'd probably like to forget. You know, it's not something we look forward to. And yet it's something that we've been called into. Something that we've been told, we've been reminded of that, man, the world will hate you because they first hated him. You know what? And yet we've been called to have that peace. That peace that comes with knowing he already overcame the world. That, man, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Man, the victory's been won. And it goes back to knowing who it is, being prepared, and having your eyes fixed on him, and not getting caught up in what you can see. It's something that, man, Elisha's servant had to be reminded of in 2 Kings chapter 6. You know, we, we again, if you know the story, it's, it's one of my favorites. And like I tell the kids, I hate to say story because story, it immediately brings to mind the idea of a myth or, you know, something that's not real. This was an account. This happened. 
you know, and so I love this account in Second Kings chapter 6 where we see, you know, Elisha's servant reminded to, to not be focused on only what he can see. Because in verse 8 of 2 Kings 6, it says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servant, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, speaking of Elijah, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? You know, I just it's one of those that, that I imagine myself in this. Like being that servant and walking out and seeing this army surrounding you and Elisha. I mean, I don't know that our response would have been very much different. You know, what are we going to do? We are surrounded. It's a lot of times the way we, we act when we go to work or we go to school or, you know, wherever it is, and we're surrounded by non-Christians. And man, maybe we're the, the, just the focal point of all the attacks. And we walk in and we wake up on Monday and it's, man, what am I going to do? Like, I, I almost dread it. You know, wait, how do I deal with this? I am alone here. I love, again, Elisha's response. Because he says, it says, so he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant opened his eyes and he saw the Syrians had walked right into a trap. See, God wasn't surprised. God wasn't caught off guard. God knew exactly what the Syrian king was intending to do. And man, he was prepared. He hadn't left Elisha and his servant alone to deal with it on their own. He was ready and he stood with them because Elisha was walking with God. And I think sometimes it's one of those that we need to pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may see that I'm not the one surrounded at work. They are. I'm not the prisoner here. You know, we're, we're going to talk about Paul a little bit later, but I remember so many times growing up in the church, hearing people talk about how, you know, Paul was chained to the guards, and, but yet Paul wasn't the prisoner. It was the guards. Because, man, they had nowhere to go, and they had to hear Paul preach 24-7. You know, what we tell the kids in, the, in their classes is, you know what? If you're surrounded in your seating chart by a lot of people that aren't Christians, man, you're not the one in trouble. They can't move. 
They've got to see you pray. They've got to hear you give glory to God. They've got to see you live your life out as a Christian. They're the prisoner attached to you. And you have a wonderful opportunity to be a witness. Don't get caught up in what you can see. There are more with you than there are with them. And God is not caught off guard. One of my favorite psalms that reminds us of that is, is Psalm chapter 2 in those first four verses. Where it talks about the nations raging and plotting and, you know, just making all these plans to overthrow God and His plan. And, and, his plan. And, and just all these things, starting in verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Man, I love that. You know, because it's what we see going on. You know, there, there is a push worldwide to just, you know, against Christianity, against God. And again, there are times that it's so easy to look at it and be like, man, you know what? It's time to go into hiding. It's time to run. It's time to whatever. But man, it's not. Because remember who you serve. They make all these plans. They plot. They can come together. And God looks at them and he's like, really? You know, it's like if, you know, waiting outside for you guys today, you know, the, the two and three-year-olds were waiting outside to mug you, you know, like, you know, a bunch of these little babies. You wouldn't be hiding in here. You wouldn't be, I can't go outside. That, that two-year-old man, he's got a mean look in his eye, you know, like, you'd look at him and you'd be like, oh, really? How cute, you know, like, and you'd just kind of walk right past him. You, know, you, you wouldn't be like, I hope you wouldn't be handing over your valuables to a two-year-old. And yet, sometimes we look at the world and we say, man, how are we going to get past this? What can God do against this? When in reality, it's, what can they do against God? Do you know who he is? Have you settled that in your heart? You know what? When we have, it allows us to have that peace. It allows us to have that courage to continue to be faithful, even in those times it's hard. However, when we take our eyes off of him, it leads to that unbelief, which leads to that disobedience, which can keep us from being faithful. And that's the lesson we learn from the people of Israel in Exodus, that starting in Exodus chapter 14, you know, after they've been, Moses has led them out of Egypt, we see them, you know, every time a challenge is presented, every time things get hard, we see them begin to complain and begin to look back. And the first time we see that is here in Exodus chapter 14, in verse 10, it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. You know, we see that, man, you know, these people that they had seen, all the plagues come upon the Egyptians. They had seen the hand of God in a mighty way. They had seen Pharaoh release them. They had been led, you know, up to this point by the fire at night and the cloud by day. They had seen God move in a mighty way. And yet, when they come to what seems like an impassable river, And they feel like they're trapped immediately instead of looking at God, they look at their situation and they say, we never should have left. We should never have left Egypt. We should have remained slaves. We should have stayed where we are. How dare you free us? And man, that's the way we are a lot of times. You know, when things start going the wrong way, when things take a turn for the worse, a lot of times our immediate reaction is not to say, you know what, God, you have delivered me from so much already. You have brought me this far. I know you're not going to let me go. And we press on. A lot of times our response is to say, Lord, what are you even doing here? Why did you bring me to this place? And that's if we even think of him at all. We see again, you know, if you read through chapter 14, you see, you know, the sea is parted, the people cross, Pharaoh chases after, and he and his army are drowned in the sea. And you would think that that would be enough, but it wasn't, because then a couple of chapters later in chapter 16, we see the people complaining about their lack of food. In verse 3 of, of Exodus 16, it says, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Look at what they said. Oh, that we had stayed in Egypt where we had plenty. I feel like they're leaving something out. There's something that they may have forgotten in that. You were slaves. You were worked to the death. You weren't free. You know, it's one of those things that if we continually look back, instead of looking forward, instead of looking up, man, we are going to fall short. You know, the last one that we're going to look at is in Numbers 13, verses 31 through chapter 14, verse 4 of Numbers, where we see the the people of Israel refuse to enter into the promised land. And starting in verse 31 of chapter 13, it says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they, they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. 
And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Gestware, Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. You know, the key in all of this is what we saw at the end of chapter 13. They saw themselves in their own sight. And they saw the people in the land through their own eyes. You know, when we look at the issues in our life through our own eyes and we try and face it in our own strength, yeah, it's going to seem just impossible. It's going to be one of those things that we're almost like the, the people of Israel here. We're going to be like, man, you know what? I'm so small and my strength is not that great. I can't make it. But it's not our own strength, as Pastor Charlie taught a few weeks ago, that as we w talked about the spiritual warfare, that again, one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 6.10, where it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That man, as we enter into the battle, it's not in our own strength, it's not on our own, it's His strength and His might. And we need to look at it through that. It's why, you know, again, you know, one of the favorite, you know, stories, especially as little kids, is David and Goliath. David charging towards this giant, heading for it head on. Instead of what we see with the, the people of Israel that consistently are looking to take a step back. You know, it's something that we talk to the youth about sometimes because, man, as they grow and they step out in ministry, sometimes they are shocked when they step into the worship team or whatever else. And, man, all of a sudden they start being attacked. And, and I, I just would ask that you do pray for them because I know sometimes as adults we look at it and we say, man, how hard could it be? They're 16, they're 15, what could they face? You'd be surprised. The attacks that they're going through, man, they're things that some adults aren't ready for. And so they come and they say, you know what, Pastor Sam, I, I need to step down. I need to take a break because you know what? I just can't deal with everything right now. And my immediate question is, step back into what? What is it that you're going to step back into that's going to give you the strength to face this? You're going to take a step back, and your answer to getting through the issues is to take a step away from the Lord. When in reality, it ought to be like David. Hey, man, you've challenged the Almighty God. And run and face it full on. And I think that there are times that, man, our immediate reaction, they talk about the fight or flight. You know, you have those two responses to fear or whatever. But a lot of times as Christians, you know what, if, if we're honest, our response has been flight. And it really shouldn't be. It should be, man, you know what, I know who my God is. And man, I am going to face this. I am going to allow him to do a work in me. And I, I, I felt bad as I started looking through my reference verses yesterday because we went all the way back from the back of the Bible all the way to the front and now we're going to work our way back to the back again but in Acts 23 we see how God responds in those moments 
that we get overwhelmed, that those, those moments that, that are tough because there are those moments. There are those moments where you begin to, to say, Lord, I'm not giving up, but man, what's going on? And you see that in the life of Paul. In chapter 23, you, you see that Paul, again, he goes and he's speaking to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to the Jews that Paul has had a heart for and, and will continue to write that he has a heart for, that he would love to see them saved. But again, we see that Paul is chased out, that Paul is beaten, that the, the Roman soldiers come and they take him and they take him into custody to save his own life. And he's put in prison again. And you can just imagine the discouragement he must have felt, man. He's wanting to go to Rome. He's wanting to do all these things. And there he is in prison again because he's fearing for his life. And in verse 11 it says, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in, at Rome. You know, God met him there in that prison in that darkness and said, Paul, you're not alone. And I'm not done with you. Paul, be faithful because your witness isn't over here. And it's those, thing, those times that, man, as we keep our eyes on God, we're able to hear his voice in those moments where he's telling you, hey, man, maybe some of you, you have kids that, the man, they've walked away from God in their adult years. And man, that you feel that, that almost like that, that being that prisoner, that man, you know what, every time you share with them the gospel, they shut you down. And it's one of those, that man, you, you start to feel that discouragement. And the Lord said, man, be of good cheer. I'm not done. Don't give up on them. Be faithful. You know, as you end the book of Acts in Acts 28, in verses 30 and 31, it says, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. See, God made a promise to Paul in that prison and he kept it. Paul made it to Rome and he continued to be a witness. God wasn't done with them. And yeah, even between chapters 23 and 28, there were storms that Paul went through. He was shipwrecked. There were things that happened in his life. But man, he was able to trust again that he knew who he had committed his life to and he knew he would be faithful. And it goes back to, do we know who it is? Do we know who it is that we trust? And as a result, do we know what it is that we're living for? Paul, in this, you know, last time I asked you to turn, but in 2 Corinthians chapter, six, chapter 4, verses 16 through going on into chapter 5, Paul writes about the, the trials that we go through, and I love the way he describes them. Because this is a man who went through way more than most of us will ever go through. And yet, as he's describing it, he says... Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul describes what he's gone through as a light affliction. I mean, that is totally opposite of the way we would describe it. You know, I I love sports, and I especially love football, but sometimes, like, I just get so tired of hearing the post-game conferences, because there's always somebody that, like, played through, like, a broken heart or a rib piercing through their brain or something. I just don't know how I made it through. Well, you made it, dude. You, You did what you got paid for. Congratulations. Awesome. You know, I say that having never played football, you know. <laughs> but you know, that that's the feeling I have. Like, dude, you're, you're complaining, you know, you get to go home to your mansion and everything else, you know. I, I feel so bad for you. Your life is horrible. <laughs> you know, and if anybody else had written this, I feel like that's the way we would have responded. Oh, okay, Jesus. These light afflictions, son of God. But Paul wrote it. Paul, who was beaten. Paul, who was stoned. Paul, who was shipwrecked. Paul, who was bit by a poisonous stake. Paul, who was kicked out of just about every synagogue he ever entered into. Paul. They're not even worth mentioning. They're light afflictions compared to what I have waiting for me. Because this is just my tent. I'm living for my house. My man. That's awesome. That's, that's how you remain faithful. Man, this is temporary, and thank God for that. I was talking to, to Amber Ingram, one of our, our youth leaders on Friday, because um, I, I started dieting a little bit. And you never realize how, I guess, heavy you were until you start dieting because then people start coming up to you wow you've lost a ton of weight and I'm like so basically you just told me I was fat thanks you know like you know and I've gotten that quite a bit like you know Pastor Sam what are you doing you've lost a ton of weight and I'm like and I told her I was like dude I, I guess I was really that big and she was trying to be super diplomatic she's like well you know it's because you know when larger people start to lose weight and I was like larger people <laughs> Well, all right, then, you know, like, is, I cannot wait till I don't have to diet anymore, and I don't have to worry about being called one of the larger people. I cannot wait to get rid of this tent. I can't wait for that day when I get to, you know what, fold up the tent, put it away, and go home. And see my Lord, see my Savior, and enter into that rest. That's what we're supposed to be living for. That's why in verse 9, starting in verse 9 of chapter 15, Paul says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Paul says, listen, first of all, no one that we're going to have to stand before him. We live for him. We live to please him. And secondly, knowing that the people around us are going to have to stand before him too, we persuade them. We share with them. We give them the gospel. We remain faithful. Whether we're at day one, day ten, or we haven't even begun the days of the trials that we're going to go through. We remain faithful and we share the gospel. Because that's what we're called to do. And there are going to be those moments you take hits. But you know, there, there are certain songs that like, and they just always get me kind of like pumped up. You know, I have the tiger, obviously, because Rocky is one of them. I joke around with the youth sometimes. I'm like, man, they should have entrance music when I teach for Charlie. You know, like I have the tiger with a smoke machine, you know, and I'll go running through. And the kids are always great at bringing me back to reality. They're like, Pastor Sam. You don't run and you have asthma. <laughs> that's not a good combination. You know, I, I, that's why I love being back there because they don't pull any punches. <laughs> but my eye of the tiger, it's one of those that it's like, yeah, you know, I got the eye of the tiger. You know, I see myself running up the stairs. Woo! You know, but it, it reminds me of the Rocky movies. You know, I, I was sharing last night, one of my favorites is uh, when he fights the, the Soviet. You know, that dude that, you know, if you've seen the Rocky movies, it was like, you know, this guy was like, nobody had ever seen him bleed. Like, they almost like, you know, they, they felt like he was a machine. And you get to, to the part where Rocky's fighting him, and this guy is just pounding on Rocky. And Rocky's just getting up, and he's taking it. You know, and one of the scenes that I love is in between rounds, you know, the Russian handlers are yelling at him, like, knock him out. What's wrong with you? And the guy looks at him and he goes, man, he's not human. Like, he just keeps coming. And then it's like that turning point where then, you know, shortly after, he cuts the Soviet and then he eventually knocks him out. And it's like, man, Rocky remained faithful. He stuck it out. He took everything this guy had. And he was the last one standing at the end. I'm like, man, that's what I want to be. You know what? I know that I am going to get hit. I know that there are days I'm going to show up, and I have shown up, and I'm battered and bruised. And some days where it's just hard to get out and, and to be faithful, to be anything. But it's in those moments where I don't take a step back. I take a step forward. It's in those moments that I reach out and I say, man, dad, I need your strength. Because I, I absolutely have no idea how I'm going to do this today. Oh, it's a lesson I've learned from my daughter. Because, man, there are some moments where she's just, I've mentioned this before, she is such a daddy's girl. And I couldn't be more thrilled but there are some times where like she acts like she can't do anything without daddy. 
And this morning we woke up and uh, she came walking into the room and she's like, Daddy, I need juice. And I said, okay, Layla, let's go to the kitchen. And I got a cup and I started walking away and like she, she got upset. And I was like, what's wrong? You forgot me. She's four years old. She's got legs. You know? And, but she's standing on the bed like. And, I, and there's a brief moment where I was like, you've got legs, like, you know? But, you know, being her dad and spoiling her rotten like I do, I went and I said, oh, I'm sorry. And I picked her up and she goes, Daddy, don't put me down. Don't put me on the floor. And like, because that made me want to cry, I started making fun of her and I was like, well, where do you want me to put you down? I was like, man, that should be my relationship with God. Daddy, don't put me down. Hold me, carry me, get me through. Because the trials, sometimes they're too hard. And as much as I don't want to be, I'm scared. And I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need you. Daddy, I don't have legs. Carry me. See, it's not taking a step back. It's being faithful to trust who he is and to allow that to shine even when nothing else may be working. And that's the encouragement today. Be faithful wherever you're at. Whether you're in the trial, you just made it through the trial, or God's preparing you for the trial. Be faithful and allow his light to shine through you. Let's go ahead and pray. Give the worship team time to come up. Lord, that is our prayer. Help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to have our eyes fixed on you, Lord, so that we don't lose sight of, of what's eternal as we go through the temporary things here. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today. Lord, that there are some that, man, it was more of a crawl than a walk as we came in here today. And Lord, we need your strength. And I would pray, Lord, that you would just fill us to overflowing. That as we may have crawled in, that man, we will be walking and leaping and praising you on our way out. Ready for the trials that, that are waiting for us. And Lord, that through it all, you might be glorified. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.